We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Edwin is intercepted by Sam Mills. Oh! Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. He steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! This one is picked again. Intercepted by Boston. Bridgewater. Throw into the end zone. Touchdown. Samuel still on his feet. Inside the five. To the end zone. Touchdown. What a play. And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. He is McCaffrey. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. Keep pounding on three. One, two, three. Keep pounding. Welcome to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. And to help us preview the Minnesota Vikings this weekend, we have Arif Hassan from The Athletic Minnesota. He does a great job covering the Vikings. And you can also find his work on the Norse Code podcast, another excellent content for Minnesota, uh, for the Minnesota Vikings. Arif, how are you? I'm good. I'm good, man. How are you? Pretty good. So a lot of interesting storylines this upcoming game. And I mean, the first one, is Teddy Bridgewater returning back to the team that drafted him, the Minnesota Vikings. And before we get into this game specifically, I want to kind of get your thoughts and memories of Bridgewater in his short time there, because I remember following the draft and a lot of Vikings fans were excited about drafting him. And I um, mean, took him to the playoffs in the second year. 
what did you like what do you remember fondly about Bridgewater's short tenure in Minnesota? Well, I think um I think it's just how how quickly he endears himself to people. I mean, uh the Vikings have drafted quite a number of quarterbacks, right? That's not a, a secret. Um and they've gone through a number of quarterbacks too just through veteran free agency. Uh and um and not a ton um have played at the level Bridgewater has, which is not to say you know, he played at an elite level. He played, you know, all right in Minnesota. Um, not not a ton have played at like an all right level and have endeared themselves to the fan base as much as they have. I mean, they did, um, you know, a, a bunch of quarterbacks have done a, a pretty remarkable job. But if you ask a lot of Vikings fans who their favorite quarterback for the Vikings has been over the last decade, first, kind of notable that they've got a lot of choices to pick from. But second, a lot of them would say Bridgewater. Uh, you know, Cousins has probably performed better than Bridgewater uh, for the Vikings. But, you know, you ask any Vikings fan kind of which one that they would rather have or which one they like more, not even which one they would rather have. And they'll say uh, and they'll say Bridgewater. Um, I, I think it's just kind of his natural charisma, his personality, um, what he's gone through, not just uh, in a Vikings uniform, but at Louisville as well um, with his mother and his an- ankle injury and, and all that. Um I mean, he's just a, a super easy guy to like, and 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 that apparently came across in New York and uh, New Orleans, where he immediately won over those locker rooms. I mean, that's that's somebody that, um, you know, in, invites kind of uh, a loyalty in the locker room and invites you know a lot of people to like him. So um, there's that. You know, it's it's kind of this um, irrepressible presence that's like difficult to describe that um, has kind of infected basically every franchise, um, as far as I know that that he's been with. So that's a big part of it. Um, but I, I think a lot of people kind of remember uh, Bridgewater from a quarterback perspective as somebody um, who, you know, he didn't necessarily take a ton of chances. You know, we know that he's not a deep ball thrower or anything like that, um, but he had remarkable improvisational capability. He was actually really great under pressure. I mean, that was kind of one of his nicknames, Gump, great under major pressure, uh, especially at Louisville and and certainly um, with the Vikings. Uh, and, and in many ways is kind of the opposite of of what Cousins is you know, uh, remarkably charismatic, uh, you know, un- unfortunately for Cousins, you know, that's not really one of his qualities, um, really thrives in in those really difficult situations, like two-minute drills, um, really thrives under pressure when it's invited. Um, and uh, and he's a lot more conservative than Cousins is because Cousins is a deep ball thrower, although he doesn't have that reputation. You know, he, he's, you know, the, one of the most aggressive deep ball throwers in the league right now. Uh, and And again, that's not Bridgewater, but it always felt like um, there was playmaking opportunity there, even though he wasn't the kind of guy um, to throw deep. It just always felt like that that was, um, that was a capability that he had. So um, I remember his game against Denver, uh, which I thought was really remarkable. Uh, should have ended up in a win, ended up, I think, at a strip sack allowed by Matt Khalil. Um, if not, that was the Cardinals game. Um, but, uh, you know, one, one of the best throws I've ever seen from a Vikings quarterback. And, you know, I watched good Brett Favre too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was, uh, was him rolling out to, uh, to his left. Uh, under pressure and as he's getting um, tackled to the ground he fires off this just insane strike to Stefan Diggs with the times a rookie uh, and um, you know I'm going to remember that throw for a long time I, I don't know he was just a, a really remarkable quarterback to be able to cover and watch for sure he's a ton of fun. Arif Hassan joins us from the Athletic covers the Vikings uh, Arif that's some fantastic perspective and I always love talking to uh, you know writers and, and reporters from other markets to get a sense of, you know, it's a new guy for Carolina. There are some questions. There's some familiarity concerns in terms of, uh, you know, they've had Cam Newton for a long time here. The fan base 
really attached to, obviously, QB1. But I always find it fascinating to, to hear from Vikings fans and reporters like yourself. And the overwhelming majority, like you said, say that Bridgewater is our favorite quarterback over this era. And, and you look back at, at what he was able to do early in his uh, tenure there. Obviously, he, he won that locker room over, and he's doing the same here in Carolina and uh, playing at a high level. So it'll be fascinating to watch uh, this game if he does play. I want to talk about the Vikings and where they are right now, Arif, and what Carolina can expect. They came out of the bye three straight weeks, uh, three straight wins. Uh, last week, Dallas, late in the game. Uh, they couldn't get it done defensively. Where are they right now after that loss, I guess, maybe mentally and, and structurally as a team? What are they still needing to work on to get back to that playoff level? Yeah. Um, so it, it, in terms of kind of what they need to do, they need to go 6-0 or 5-1 and to finish out the season. They're going to need a loss from the Cardinals uh, in order to, to make it as a seventh seed. I think um, they know that they don't necessarily control their own destiny. And in terms of kind of the level um, of, uh, of, of buy-in from the team, it certainly seems like this is a team that has bought into itself as potential playoff contenders, as dark horses that kind of want um, that that chip on their shoulder, which, uh, you know, objectively they caused it, right? Just by losing a bunch of games. But um, that, that's, uh, that's kind of just uh, the way they're motivating themselves. But after the loss, I mean, it was a, um, you know, I, I wasn't in the locker room, obviously, for, for clear reasons. But um, it was a very quiet set of Zoom calls, right? Which, uh, which you know, that happens a lot after losses. But I think um, this one in particular um, was it just kind of held that air of, um, of, you know, kind of shattered invincibility, as it were. Well, you know, you go that way from the outside. I know we don't follow the Vikings closely, but <laughs> Mike McCarthy apparently did a Gallagher routine in the locker room, smashing one. Yes, <laughs> yes. I was thinking to myself, what a bizarre week. I'm sitting here, and Carolina shuts out Detroit. It's the first time they've shut out anybody in five years, and I'm sitting here, there's a Gallagher bit going on with Mike McCarthy, and the, the Vikings lose at the It's, the it's always there. something strange with this time, team. <laughs> it, no, it's always something with this team. Yeah, strange times, but also remember that uh, one year the Vikings motivated, actually against a Mike McCarthy team, uh, against the Packers, motivated their own team by, like, pretending to slaughter a bunch of stuffed animals. Like, that, <laughs> they did that. <laughs> was, like like, Zimmer, was that a Zimmer move? It was Zimmer. Yeah, I mean, oh, and, and uh, never ask him about it. He doesn't. He, he hates oh. questions about it. But it was, um, Jack Del Rio, you know the famous story with uh, yeah, yeah, yes, <laughs> get the axe. Just don't uh, do incredible. that. Anything short of the axe is okay with me. Go ahead, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no worries. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, and it wasn't like the atmosphere was not like it was after they uh, they got blown up by Buffalo two years ago when they were 17-point favorites. Um, it wasn't like that. Like that one was just a distinctly kind of worse, introspective, holy crap, what's happening here moment um, because they'd already experienced a, a couple of embarrassing losses this season, including against the Falcons, right? right. So um, I, I think it was more just you know, the fact that we're winning doesn't mean that we'll continue to win is kind of that realization is setting in is that not everybody gets to have um, that story. I think actually it's Carolina is probably one of the best examples of a team that, uh, I don't know, I, I, wasn't there a season they went one and seven and then seven and one or something like that? Oh yeah. We've had a couple of those. I think we had 2004 comes to mind where the, they, I Carolina started one and seven that year and down the stretch, they won six out of eight, I think, or whatever it yeah. was. They almost got there too. The last game of the year, they, Missed about a 60-yard field goal to advance the playoffs. But it happens, man. It's interesting to uh, – interesting yeah. things like that. They happen once in a while. Yeah, and, and I think uh, when you're in the middle of it, when, you're, when you've got that three-game win streak 
mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to convince yourself that you're one of those teams that that um, you know turns around like the 2018 Texans and sneaks their way into the playoffs, right? Um, but as a consequence of just like the way reality works, most teams are not that, right? And so uh, I, I think it was just kind of uh, reality setting back in. I mean, it was just a really poor performance from a lot of different units. Uh, and uh, and at some point, there has to have been some sense of maybe not futility, but just kind of the sense of like, this is an overwhelming obstacle, the fact that, you know, they just don't have a ton of talent along the defensive line and in their young secondary. So, yeah, the, the atmosphere was uh, kind of tense and quiet, and I think uh, it was peppered with the realization that this might not actually be a playoff team. Like, I think even when they were uh, one in four and one in five, you know, they, they had a belief that they could be a playoff team. And I still think that they believe they can be a playoff team. But I think that kind of the realization that they might not be is, is setting in a little bit stronger as, you know, we're hitting week 12. So I want to start with the defense first because I do see some parallels to this unit and to the unit that Carolina had in 2016, uh, which is when Sean McDermott was still the defensive coordinator, fantastic defensive coach. And they were also starting two young cornerbacks and Daryl Worley and James Bradbury that season. And I see some similarities there with a young secondary being, um, you know, go, overcoming some you know, challenges, if you'd say. Obviously, I think Carolina's defensive line at that time was – uh, probably a little better than what Minnesota currently has. But this is a unit that Mike Zimmer prides himself on a lot. Uh, they lost their defensive coordinator, uh, uh, George Edwards. He went to Dallas last year, uh, last offseason. What has gone on with the defense as far as the transition that's occurring with that unit, whether it's personnel or scheme? Um, yeah, they, um, the, the amount of turnover that they had, uh, was 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 frankly remarkable, um, especially compared to the history of uh, of of turnover that they've had in the Zimmer era. You go from 2014 to 2015, 15 to 16, 16 to 17, 17 to 18. You never had more than two players leave, uh, and it was usually just kind of one one player would be would be lost. So um, they would have the same unit over and over and over again, and there wasn't a ton yet to do. Well, this year, um, not only did they have um, a pair of defensive linemen leave in Linval Joseph and, and Everson Griffin. They had the entire cornerback group leave. Uh, you know, Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander are all playing for different teams now. Uh, and so the amount of defensive turnover that they had was just remarkable. And then you add on top of that that Anthony Barr was injured for the season, that Daniil Hunter, um, you know, did, didn't get to play at all this year. Um, and, and you're looking at, you know, a remarkably new set of defensive starters that you never had to before. And the issue... F- well, I mean, there's a lot of issues with that. One of the big issues is that um, as time had gone on, the Vikings had developed a remarkably complex defense that had a variety of super confusing and complicated um, calls in it that relied on, you know, a bunch of if-then rule sets for how they did coverage and stuff like that. And that worked really well if you could build on the principles of last year with the team that was there last year and then just hope somebody catches up enough when they're a new person. Uh, and so... You know, that's if you build the foundation the previous year, I mean, you learn algebra before you learn calculus. That's kind of how the defense was going. Um, and, and that was working for them. But then you have a completely new secondary. You can't put in the calls that you had last year, uh, much less, you know, kind of deepen the layer of complexity that you built upon from last year. And so um, that led to uh, 
I, I think a lot of defensive breakdowns in the secondary that were unrelated to the level of talent that they had. Uh, and then you also have to factor in the part where they probably are just less talented. I mean, Xavier Rhodes wasn't playing well last year, but Trey Waynes was, McKenzie Alexander was, you know, for the first half of the season, Everson Griffin was, Linval was. And, um, and now you're asking like Jaleel Johnson to play Linval Joseph's role. You're asking, uh, you know, a pair of rookies and a second year player um, to fill in at cornerback. And, and in some cases, you know, they, they started a player that had been on the team for three weeks. They signed him off the Detroit Lions practice squad and he's starting in the nickel. Like, that's who you have. That's what you're playing with. Uh, and so um, that led to a significant drop in the amount of talent they had to work with, the familiarity that they had, and, uh, and, and the fact that this defense is not one of the bottom five defenses in the NFL, to me, I think is a credit to Zimmer more than anything else. I mean, just the fact that that amount of defensive turnover, that amount of new phases, that amount of, uh, I think, a talent drop-off, I mean uh, – it, it, it kind of almost doesn't matter how good Jeff Gladney and Cameron Dancer will end up being. Um, I mean, when, uh, when James Bradbury was a rookie, I mean, he was not nearly as good as he is now. Right. And, uh, and that's, I think particularly true for Zimmer defenses where the rookies substantially underperform their kind of their final trajectory. I mean, Trey Waynes was one of the worst corners in the NFL when he was a rookie. Um, and, and consequently he barely saw the field and when he did, it was kind of a disaster. Um, and then he turned into an above average corner and he had a really good 2017, um, you know, Xavier Rhodes. I mean, he was a rookie in 2013 before Zimmer arrived, but he was not a very good rookie. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until his third year that we were talking about him as an elite corner. That has been consistently true. Even when Zimmer was in Cincinnati where those rookies didn't get a lot of playing time. And when they did, they just weren't playing very well. Um, now we're in a situation where you're playing a pair of rookies and you're playing a couple of second year players. And, and that's, you know, kind of who you have. Um, so, yeah, the, the defensive breakdowns, I think, are in part because of uh, a lack of talent and a lack of continuity, um, and, uh, and, and those are both very difficult problems to solve. All right, to your point, I mean, they're four and six right now, and uh, obviously that's not where you want to be. But offensively, getting, getting back to that group right now, Gary Kubiak, again, bringing that system over from uh, his days at Denver and, and other teams as well. Uh, Thielen, of course, having a solid year. I, I don't know the latest on his situation. Maybe you can give us some insight. And uh, Justin Jefferson looking great in a rookie season here. And then, of course, Dalvin Cook. How is this offense coming together uh, as Gary Kubiak continues to build uh, his system here in Minnesota? Well, it is a pretty efficient offense, all things told. Um, you take a look at it in terms of like yards per play or expected points per play. Um, I haven't looked at it since the Dallas game, but entering the Dallas game, they were um, since week three, number one in the NFL in expected points per play and overall number one um, over the course of the season in yards per play. Uh, it is a remarkably efficient offense that just happens to not score a ton of points because uh, and, and, and they're actually pretty good in the red zone too, um, but they tend not to score points just because there's just some moment, right, where, where things kind of go awry. Either, you know, we hit the end of the half or um, there's, a, there's a fumble from Dalvin Cook or, uh, you know, a deflected interception or we're, not we're even a deflected. company then. Thank goodness. We've got somebody we can talk to, we can relate to. This is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Familiar problems here, Billy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a really good offense that doesn't yeah. score points. It's just a very weird thing to say, but that – is what it is. Um, yeah, Cousins is largely playing well. Obviously, he had a, a couple of bad games. The three-pick game against Atlanta was awful. The uh, game against uh, the the game against uh, Green Bay to start and the Indianapolis game were pretty bad. Um, but for the most part, um, it's a it's a good offense that just kind of needs to get out of its own way sometimes. 
Yeah, and of course, uh, we continue to monitor maybe what's coming up uh, for your Vikings here over the next few weeks. Uh, my last question here on the offense uh, is they continue to look towards Carolina here. Have you had a chance to, to look at all at Carolina's defense? I know it's a very young unit. We, we've chronicled that with Phil Snow and year one as a coordinator. Uh, they made some strides, obviously, last week. Have you had a chance to look at uh, what Carolina's doing schematically? And uh, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I've had, a, I've, I've had to take a look at it just because I also write a national column on, on players of the week. Um, I tend to focus a little bit more on the offense because I'm going to get candidates there <laughs> a little bit more often <laughs> right. than on the defense. But um, I actually, um, I've, I've enjoyed uh, watching Razul Douglas play, not because he's playing amazingly, but because he's playing a lot better than he did in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Brian Burns is uh, a really remarkably talented player. He's got some of the best um, bend of any of the edge defenders in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty great. Um, Shaq Thompson kind of coming into his own is pretty cool. Uh, Jeremy Chin, um, I, it, it's kind of weird because I think if, if I didn't have the rest of the conversation surrounding um, the defensive rookies this year, I would just enjoy watching Jeremy Chin. I think he's playing really well, but I find myself kind of constantly criticizing him because he's put into the defensive rookie of the year conversation and he's just not that good, Um, but he's good. Right. And so I don't want to keep criticizing him because I think there's more there to enjoy and appreciate than there is to criticize. But in the context of the conversations we're always having, you know, he's leading all rookies and tackles, for example, um, it, it's easier to kind of point to, well, I mean, he's allowing a lot in coverage. And you, even if you take away, you know, the, the missed dive on the, on the giant, um, on the giant gainer that he allowed a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, even if you take that away, I mean, he's just allowed a lot, but I, I think that there's something there. Um, I, I, I like uh, kind of the, the potential that it has, but the problem of course is that potential isn't, you know, reality. Right. And so right. there's a lot of problems on the defensive line, um, as, uh, as Billy pointed out to me, um, when, when he was on Norse code, you know, they've, they've improved a little bit over the past couple of weeks, but, um, they're relying a little bit more on Zach Kerr. It sounds like in order to, in order to play well. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, there's, there's a lot there, but it's really kind of future forward looking than it is, um, you know, performance at the moment. Arif, um, you know, a question that's always been uh, of particular interest to Minnesota fans, and I'm sure yourself too, has been the offensive line. And with the Kubiak system, generally, um, they rely a lot on athleticism and moving laterally in the run game. But as far as their pass protection goes, how is that, you know, how, is, how have they performed this season? Um, because we obviously know some of the struggles that Cousins can sometimes uh, run into when he is dealing with pressure. I think we saw that in the playoff game against San Francisco last year. Are they keeping him upright? Are they doing a better job of, you know, keeping the pocket clean? Um, it kind of depends uh, on, on what time frame you're looking at. I think um, the first two weeks and this last week, the answer is no. But I think for a good chunk of the season, uh, the answer has largely been yes uh, until about – um, two weeks ago, Riley Reef was having uh, his his best year, um, I think, ever as a pass protector. I mean, he was putting together some elite performances, and then he had just a really rough set of games as a pass protector, especially this last week. Uh, and so, um, for the most part, you know, you got pretty good left tackle play. Brown O'Neill largely is a pretty good player. Um, again, this last week, I mean, he was just just brutally bad. But um, 
your ta- the tackle play has not really been the issue for a while. I mean, yeah, sure, they're overpaying Riley Reef or whatever, but I, I think you kind of live with that to get average to above average play if, you know, the alternative is is to kind of just flounder at tackle for a while. The interior offensive line play um, is, I think, a, a more interesting question because that has been much, much more variable from week to week. Um, we've gotten some really good games from Garrett Bradbury at center. We've gotten some really bad games uh, from Bradbury. Um, you know, his athleticism, you know, serves him well as a run blocker, but sometimes it's just not that useful as a pass protector. And so he can kind of get bullied in the pocket. And then at guard, I mean, you've got Dakota Dozier on one side, and then you've got the guard of the week on the other side. I mean, they've played um, Pat Elfline, Drew Samia, uh, Ezra Cleveland, and now Brett Jones. Guard of the week. I, I want to, you need to trademark that. <laughs> we have tackle of the week, by the way. Left tackle of the week's been the, the thing du jour. That's here right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, rotating uh, left tackles gotta love it yeah no it's um it's 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 been a bit of a struggle uh you know drew Samia played probably the the worst game a guard has played this year i think that's according to pff um when he w- went up against the colts and of course you know you've got an underperforming guard going up against deforest buckner i mean that's not great um so uh, that that's been part of the of the of the record of play at the position, uh, but then you've got Brett Jones last week, who uh, they honestly should have allowed to have been a backup guard last year when they had guard uh, struggles. I mean, they refused to play him at guard. He he was a center uh, in in high school in in college up at Regina in Canada in uh, at the New York Giants. Um, and, uh, and for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the CFL, and he was a center only for, for the Vikings. Um, and I think a lot of people, me included, and a lot of fans have, have wanted him to play um, guard just to kind of see what he can do because he's actually played pretty well at center. Um, he finally plays guard for the first time, I think, um, at least in a Vikings uniform for sure, and he's the best performing offensive lineman of the week. Like it was just kind of it was just bizarre that they wouldn't have done it earlier, um, given you know that it looks like that that's something that he's capable of doing. Um, but yeah, Ezra Cleveland um, has played a lot of guard. He could play this week um, because of injury, but uh, he has had some really poor performances. He's had some okay performances. I wouldn't say he's had a good performance yet. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where the issue is, um, is that, you know, some weeks you're just not going to get a lot out of Pat Elfline. Some weeks are not Pat Elfline, uh, Garrett Bradbury. Some weeks you are, um, you, depending on who's playing, you know, right guard, um, you're going to get an average to below average performance to potentially league worst performance. And the Dakota Dozier has largely been pretty bad. Uh, and so uh, the, the interior pressure situation for, for the Vikings has consistently been an issue. Cousins has been better under pressure this year than he has been um, in, in his history. Uh, and so that's nice, but you can't really rely on that because at some point, I mean, that's a fairly unstable thing to rely on. At some point, that's just going to you know, come out from under you. And then on the days that there's just a bad matchup uh, at, at tackle, and like there was this last week, then it just becomes just this avalanche of, of problems. I mean, um, Cousins is probably buried under more white uh, this last week in, uh, in, indoors against Dallas uh, than he has been in a snowstorm in Minnesota. I mean, it was just <laughs> remarkably bad um, how, how many times he got hit and how many times he got sacked against Dallas. So um, there, there have been offensive line problems in Minnesota. This is not the worst offensive line that they've had uh, in the last five years. Teddy actually was party to one of their worst offensive lines. Um, but, you know, improvement has just not been enough. It's been pretty bad. You know, thanks to a lack of natural athleticism, commitment, or even overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people 
will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor the job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Right now, go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, and I want to stick to the offense here. Last question um, on that end. Uh, You did mention that you have seen... Uh, some of the Panthers' defense, and obviously from a schematic point of view, I want to you know ask a question: What's the best way you think for Minnesota to attack the secondary? Because I mentioned to you yesterday, you know, Carolina they do have their corners play off uh, the line of scrimmage like five to six yards. They usually have their safeties back deep, not like Greg Williams, but still pretty deep. Mm-hmm. Um, in what areas do you think their pass game can really kind of exploit uh, this Carolina defense? Yeah, um, it it is it is a bit of a different look than they than they were able to put together um, with uh, with Luke Keekley, who was able to kind of cover up a bunch of holes that you have in cover three just by nailing all the routes that are used to beat it. Um, and so, without that, um, I think that there's a lot of opportunities available uh, when you when you're playing single high, either in cover one or cover three, given the players that the Vikings have at receiver. Um, like I said, Cousins is a deep ball quarterback who just doesn't have the reputation of being a deep ball quarterback. Uh, and, uh, and, and I would expect them to continue to challenge. I don't think they're going to run a lot of four verts, which is typically how you beat you know, a lot of these looks. But I think that you're probably going to find um, a bunch of stuff that attacks um, that deep safety, either something like a Mills concept where you're running a dig underneath the safety and a post above them um, to try and force the safety to commit to one or the other. Um, and, uh, and, and kind of force the, the strong safety to, to see if they can play um, that dig route to cover for the deep safety, you know, that kind of stuff. I wouldn't be shocked to see a couple, uh, you know, a bit of that. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, them play these matchups. I mean, I think that Justin Jefferson has been really remarkable when he's been able to go up against, um, you know, a lack of cloud coverage, a lack of, um, you know, a safety on top of him. And so when he, he gets these one-on-one looks, there have not been a ton of corners that have been able to shut him down. Uh, and so, 
at that point, the route concept is almost unremarkable. It's not that important. You know, he, he plays a lot of out routes against man coverage. Um, so we're probably going to see a, a good chunk of that. Um, but, you know, he also is just kind of willing to go deep and kind of challenge, you know, who's got the ability to beat him deep, despite the fact that he wasn't really a speedster at LSU. And he's honestly, he's not a speedster in Minnesota. He's just a good enough route runner to be able to get open deep and, and create those big plays. The same thing is true of Adam Thielen, who's got, I think, more um, 15 plus yard targets in the NFL this year than like all but like five other receivers. Again, not a guy that you typically think of as a deep threat um, who just happens to be a deep threat, who happens to get the ball deep a lot. Um, so uh, I, I would expect them to, to challenge um, deep, given that it's typically a, a single high look instead of a cover two or a cover four look, and take advantage of the numbers advantages that you get by doing that. Um, you might be able to kind of, uh, you know, hold down on some of the uh, alternate coverages that they would probably rotate to in response to that by playing Irv Smith, um, you know, all across the, the formation. I mean, he typically lines up in line um, and, and runs a couple of seam routes or, or hitch routes and, and kind of keeps it um, to, to the center of the field. But you can, uh, you, you can have him do all sorts of things to create conflicts in those zones or uh, force kind of those robber coverages to pay more attention to him than they would like a dig route over the middle. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see any number of route combinations just kind of given the pure talent that they have at the receiver position. Yeah, last question uh, for me on the defense here. You know, Mike Zimmer obviously does a lot of things. He's done a lot of things over the years. A well-experienced coordinator in his own right, now a head coach. And uh, he'll get exotic at times, and at times he'll push back a little bit and, and not be so much. But what do you expect – He'll di- try to dial up against the Teddy Bridgewater if he does play, and, and from what he's seen from, from Carolina. Is there a certain way he'll try to attack Bridgewater knowing he's got some familiarity there, knows what he's all about? Will he try to bring some uh, pressure inside on some of these blitzes? What would he expect uh, game plan-wise for Minnesota? I wouldn't expect a, um, a heavy blitz game plan, um, and mostly just because they're not – they show blitz a ton, and then they don't – actually blitz all that often i think they're 20th in blitz rate um according to uh, according to sport radar and um against uh, against the cowboys they actually blitzed a little bit less because andy dalton is actually a little bit better against the blitz than he is not um and so you know they they tend to tailor their game plans to the specific quarterbacks they were super blitz heavy against aaron Rodgers, who performs worse against the blitz than he does standard uh drop back passes and uh they blitzed like twice against philip rivers who is one of the best quarterbacks in nfl history against the blitz um and uh, they they even they even took it a step further they rushed three against him a couple of times to drop eight into coverage you know same principle putting more players into coverage and actually you know as much as people hate you know rushing three um that actually was not a had plan on the on the rush three snaps they actually did all right so it's very clear that they tailor their 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 plans to the quarterback in question um we don't have a ton of recent samples for bridgewater uh you know uh with and without the blitz um so we don't have a bunch of data to go off of but based off of what i remember from him and, and watching him play is that he's not a quarterback that you want to blitz all that often um a because he's pretty decent under pressure, but B, he does a pretty good job of kind of identifying what the holes in pressure are. If you are going to blitz him, you need to make sure that there's some kind of disguise there. Uh, maybe you're dropping a defensive lineman or dropping someone who's at the line of scrimmage into, into coverage that you wouldn't expect. Um, but, you know, that's kind of something that they already do. They tend to rush four a lot, and so they don't get tagged as blitzes. But, you know, sometimes one of those four is a safety, and they're dropping a defensive end into coverage. So it, it isn't a blitz but it gets you the one-on-one looks that you want and, uh, and it confuses the coverage uh, diagnosis for the quarterback. So I would expect a lot more of that. Um, obviously Bridgewater's practiced against the Minnesota defense quite a bit. 
but that was a, a previous iteration of the Minnesota defense um, that has evolved really significantly in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, they, they almost never ran cover two, for example, while, while Bridgewater was there. And now they're, the, I think, the heaviest cover two team in the league um, because of the, the limitations that they have at corner and how good those safeties are. Uh, so uh, I don't know that the familiarity is going to do much in either direction, but I do think that they're going to try and overload the line of scrimmage to create one-on-one matchups and then, you know, rush four. Um, so it's going to seem like a blitz a lot of times. It's probably not going to be. Um, Bridgewater is really good at pre-snap diagnosis. Um, he's all right at post-snap diagnosis. And kind of given that he's a little bit better pre-snap than post-snap in terms of that diagnosis, you know, I would expect uh, them to attempt to disguise coverages a little bit more often. But um, it's it's something where I wouldn't be surprised if, despite the fact that they're they're going up against an opponent that they've got more, you know, data and understanding and scouting on than almost any other opponent they've had, they might actually just kind of play their normal game plan um, just because that, that scouting, I don't think has exploited um, a specific tendency for Bridgewater that would make him a little bit easier to kind of attack in one way or the other, despite the fact that they have a ton of quarterback specific plans in their pocket. Um, so yeah, unfortunately the answer is kind of boring. I don't expect there to be a significant change of what they've done recently. Looking ahead towards this game, uh, we at Blue Wire are sponsored by Bet Online, and currently they do not have the game up because I'm guessing they are still a little uncertain about Teddy Bridgewater's status. But uh, I did see a look ahead line that Minnesota was favored by four and a half. Um, you know, given that, what do you expect uh, as a prediction from this game um, moving forward? Um, well, I don't want to bet against Teddy Spreadwater. I mean, he's pretty good against the spread. Um, and for the most part, I thought that history was just because Zimmer is also extremely good against the spread, but Teddy has carried uh, that with him to, to New Orleans and now to Carolina. So uh, that is, is a super interesting um, way to think about it. But just in terms of just a pure matchup, um, you said four and a half point favorites for the Vikings. Is that it? That's what I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, if, if it ends up being um, XFL MVP P.J. Walker playing, I mean, I would take the Vikings, but the spread would obviously change. Um, if, it's, uh, if it's Teddy, I would still probably take uh, the Vikings. I mean, I, I really do enjoy watching the, the Panthers' offense, um, but I don't think um, – you know, you've got two high-performing, inconsistent offenses. I would take the Vikings' version of that um, probably nine times out of ten over the Panthers' version of that. Uh, and I would take the defensive adaptations that the Vikings have made over the fact that the Panthers probably have more potential talent to unlock. Um, so I would say that um, the defense is probably better. The offense is probably better. And that to me does not sound like a four and a half point difference. So I'd probably take the Vikings. Yeah, I, I would probably um, go in the, I think the Vikings will win this game, but uh, given that Carolina has hung in pretty tough, especially on the road, um, they two point loss at Arrowhead, three point loss against New Orleans and Superdome. Um, they've played pretty well outside of a game in Tampa, which, I mean, it was a 14 point loss, but it was seven points until Leonard Fournette scored in garbage time. Um, so for me, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to lean towards taking Carolina um, with the spread, but I, I do think that Minnesota should be able to uh, pull it out in the end. And I think special teams, uh, an area that we really didn't mention, will be a pretty big factor here because. Um, I'm just looking at some of these drive starts for Minnesota. They're kind of facing some really tough field position. Uh, yeah, worst because, field position in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. And 
we know how much special or excuse me field position can help 2015 Carolina had the best starting field position and that kind of helped propel them to a fantastic season so um, for me I, I think that's an underrated factor and that can potentially help and I, I don't really see there being a lot of possessions in this game um, if you remember the, the New Orleans game finished like in two hours and 30 minutes and I, I expect something similar here where both teams are not really creating enough explosive plays but they're moving the ball efficiently maybe a seven to eight possessions um, per team I think that probably sounds right yeah and I think that's for my pick here you know look I'm, I'm going to be like bet online here I'm going to give it a couple days to kind of see what happens with McCaffrey and Bridgewater uh, obviously I think P.J. Walker plays a Reese point here uh, it's a little different with Mike Zimmer and what he does versus the Matt Patricia approach, which basically right now is just coasting to the finish line. Uh, it's just this very <laughs> vanilla thing going on there with their man coverage and just not a lot of good things going on schematically. And it was a very easy, I think, game in a lot of ways for PJ to come in and get settled in. And, you know, if, again, if these guys for Carolina, the big three, DJ, Curtis, Robbie Anderson can getting man coverage again with some inexperienced players. I think they can get open. They've been getting open. They can do some things. Uh, but you look at two things in particular here. Red zone. They're number one. Minnesota is in terms of offense in the red zone. They're number seven defensively. These are areas Carolina has struggled in in the last couple of seasons now. Uh, so I think this is a, a, you know, same type of record as Detroit, but I think a vastly better team vastly more disciplined, just going through a different type of circumstance. So I, I don't want to compare one opponent to the other. That, that's a dangerous slope. But I think overall it's going to be a much more challenging game. It's not going to be a shutout. I can predict that. We'll, we'll go with that for right now. No shutout this week for Carolina. <laughs> the safe bet. Arif Hassan has been our guest from The Athletic. Uh, he has been fantastic throughout the years here covering the Vikings and uh, the NFL landscape. You can catch him at Arif Hassan NFL on Twitter. And, of course, at the Athletic, M-I-N, uh, Athletic Minnesota, of course. Anything else we can pitch for you out there uh, before we get you offline here? No, I think you nailed it. Appreciate it. Oh, man. Well, we appreciate your time. Of course, uh, have a great Thanksgiving, man. By the way, this will air likely uh, around Thanksgiving dinner time. So uh, tune in and uh, listen to us as we uh, record on a Wednesday. Billy, same to you, man. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. And uh, to all our listeners out there, appreciate you stopping by and joining us for another edition of the Roar Podcast right here on Blue Wire. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team and player coaching prompts, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-on bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.